0: Welcome to this special edition of the Access Hour, where we encourage you, our listeners, to enter the conversation. However, today, you will be hearing from Louisville's recently hired police chief, Erica Shields, speaking on August the 25th at the Louisville League of Women Voters. So with no further ado, let's see what our new police chief has to say. The moderator for this evening is Dr. Wayne Tucson. Dr. Tuxen is a graduate of the Howard University College of Medicine in Washington, D.C.
1: He's a practicing colon and rectal surgeon here in Louisville. A significant interest of his has been the disparity in health status of minorities, and in particular, that of African
2: American populations.
1: Dr. Tuxen both hosts and produces the television show, Kentucky Health, which airs on the KET network.
2: Thank you very much. It is my pleasure, on behalf of the League of Women Voters of Louisville, to welcome you and Chief Shields to this discussion on LMPD policing reform, what are the issues, what are the solutions? Chief Erica Shields joined the Louisville Metropolitan Police Department after serving as the Chief of Police for the Atlanta Police Department. Chief Shields has been an outspoken leader in police reform, and during her tenure as Atlanta's Chief of Police, she oversaw a reduction in violent crime and a marked increase in illegal gun seizures. By focusing on known Violent and repeat offenders, the department was able to positively impact those communities most affected by violent crime. In addition, Chief Fields recognized the critical nature of engaging the communities in which the police serve and was committed to listening to and valuing feedback in making decisions. Chief Fields firmly believes that to effectively change the trajectory of police work, the underlying drivers of criminal behavior need addressing. She has partnered with community and intergovernment agencies to see that resources and services for young people are available to allow them to focus on their education, health, goals, and building positive relationships with the police. Chief Shields was appointed as Chief of Police for the Louisville Metropolitan Police Department in January 2021. She sees that addressing violent crime, reducing the city's homicide rate, ensuring that a sustainable culture of equitable treatment by the police department Is cemented in affording employees of the department the leadership necessary to experience a sense of pride in their agency, which is critical to the department's future success. If you will join me in welcoming Chief Erica Shee. Thank you, Dr. Chief Shields, in an yeah. article entitled Race and the Police, written for the National Police Foundation, Clarence Edwards, who happened to be the first African-American chief of police in Merlin, noted the presence of several conditions when negative interactions between the police and minority communities occurred. Prominent were such things as opaque investigations by the police, in the history of excessive and abusive practices, insensitivity at best and at worst an outward hostility towards minority communities, unequal application of policies. And suspect recruitment policies for police officers. So, if you think about that, what is going on as far as some of the data that has been collected when doing police stops, shootings, and arrests? And what about police body camera footage? What happens to this information, and should the community have access to it?
1: Fundamentally, I don't I don't find fault with any of that that has been said. Listen, I employ human beings to discriminate. Period. When you are white, the reality of it is, there is an inherent, I don't know if the word is privilege, but there is an inherent ease that you are not afforded if you're black. And the reality of it is, that's just because you step out the door and you're white. Whereas if a black person steps out the door, the judgment automatically begins. That is not to suggest that being white equates to an easy life. I think a lot of the issues that were referenced in that article, you also have to recognize are tied to poverty. And where poverty exists, so does discrimination. So I think it's a a very complex issue, and very often police are the face of that complex issue because we are going in the neighborhoods that other individuals will not go into. That being said, I come from a department that was 58% African American in a city that's 55% African-American. And I can tell you the police behaviors that were problematic were not just confined to the white officers. That is police culture. That is supervision. That is accountability. So I think what I would ask of folks is open your mind and understand, as a human being, there is inherent biases we all bring to the table. That's just the fact. Where it becomes problematic is we are afforded so much authority as law enforcement that if we are not aware of that, or if we are aware of that, our violation and or abuses are that much more extreme. So listen, I'm a cop, I will always be a cop, I love being a cop, and I love the police and profession. Typically, what I see is when police departments and police individuals have come up short, have failed, however you want to word it, it's because there's been a complete and utter lack of accountability. Mm -hmm. And typically, the individual that is in trouble has had a pattern, some indicators along the way that identified there was going to be some sort of path that was going to be problematic. And that's where we, as the leaders and the supervisors, have to hold individuals accountable. And I'll close that with saying, tie to your body one camera. This is huge because my entire career coming up, we didn't have cameras. So when a person left the precinct and they went out and they're patrolling, you only had their word for what they were doing. You didn't know. And Body more cameras are giving us real-time feedback of what officers are actually doing, how they're interacting with the public, the decisions they're making, and I can't say enough about it. And so the space that we're in, in LMPD is, we're working very hard right now to fast track people to come in that can audit these for me. So in Atlanta, I had enough people that I created a Body-worn camera unit, and all they did was audit the behavior of the employees because it's time-consuming to watch footage. And yes, you can you can ask supervisors to do it, but the reality of it is supervisors are usually so inundated with work that the level of detail that's needed is not is not what you need as a police chief. So one of the things you're going to see LMPD doing is getting on on staff individuals who can vet through the footage to ensure that we're policing in a manner that is fair and impartial because more often than not, what is needed is a, is a conversation with an employee to modify their behavior. Most people do not have ill intent. So I'm a huge fan of body-worn cameras. We release the footage all the time with through open records requests. It's,
2: it's there for the viewing if, if you're really bored. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Chief. But on the other hand, um, right now we see everyone carries, as, as you do, their little handheld phone, which is a video camera. And we see that video camera material almost instantly. The news media has its um, cameras, and we see things immediately. Mm-hmm. But yet it seems to be there is a delay for that footage coming from the body cam, I think you would agree, uh, probably is necessary, but it does lend a bit of suspicion when we don't have unfettered access to the raw data. No,
1: no, I don't agree with that at all. I mean, folks, let me tell you this. How many of you want to wear a camera all day through your job?
0: Okay.
1: That camera goes with you when you go in the bathroom. I mean, if you remember, hopefully you turn it off. The reality of it is we're not live streamers. That's not my job. My job isn't to fuel, to feed the the TMZs of the world. My job is to police and to do it properly. It is not so that we can satisfy real-time curiosity. We make the footage available when people request it, period. But to suggest that we should be real-time, end of the day, I mean, that's just not, first off, it's not operationally possible. Every time an employee ends their shift, they have to go to the precinct and they have to download the data. This takes hours. Think about the amount of time that's being filled. It's hours. And they just be driving. Imagine you, you've called because you have a child who, who I don't know, they, they do drugs and they're having a breakdown. Imagine you have a a granddaughter who's come home instead of a boy at school groped her. Do you want that footage just going out the door because people are curious and want it in a matter of hours? No, we are gonna redact that. When there's victims, we have an obligation to review it and redact it. But the only footage that I can tell you there has been a delay in releasing is footage that has been tied to officer-involved shootings and that is because the public's pressure for there to be an outside investigative entity on officer-involved shootings has resulted in the Kentucky State Patrol investigating our shootings. I cannot mandate to the Kentucky State Patrol when they should release footage. You know, it's it's not ideal. I mean, my preference is, after an officer-involved shooting, once we know that a family has been made aware of what's occurred, once we know that the footage can be released without causing harm to a potential criminal investigation, certainly I want it released. But if we're not doing the investigation, I don't own the ground rules for when something can be released. And the reality of it is, and this is not a criticism of the Kentucky State Patrol, they're doing us a favor by investigating our incidents. They don't want to be doing it. Their bandwidth is tapped out already.
2: Changing gears just a bit, let's talk a little bit about some of the violence that's going on right now in our community. Uh, clearly, we're not going to be able to rest our way, at least I don't think you're going to be able to rest our way out of this current crisis of violence. And I wonder if there a more holistic police and community approach to solving issues with less reliance upon the police as the primary responses to social ills, as you already commented on, such as homelessness, alcohol, drug abuse, and mental illness, is going to be required. You know, when we look at things like deaths from cancer, strokes, heart disease, there was identification of the problem and address the issues that were at stake. Is that going to be the same kind of thing that's going to be necessary when you're talking about addressing this issue of violence? And if so, what are some of the forces you want to bring to bear?
1: Kind of the direction that we're seeing the medical community lead us on is gun violence as a, a public health crisis. And I've been fortunate to have several lengthy conversations with Dr. Moyer, who I really enjoy hearing her feedback and her thoughts on this. I think absolutely gun violence is a public health crisis. I mean I think when you look at COVID, you look at how the country mobilized and everybody started working to to find the vaccine. COVID's death rate, while alarming to us and uncomfortable to us because it was so it was so indiscriminate still pales in comparison to what gun violence does to the black community Mm, and so the reality of it is we're selective in how we choose and when we choose to deem something a public health crisis that being said we still can't get agreement on whether to take the shot and get immunized so therein is a different divisive matter within the u.s that's beyond my pay grade anyway Mm. so What I will say to you is I'm a firm believer I do absolutely not want to arrest my way out of anywhere. And I tell my troops from day one, we are not to be out locking up young black men, period. That accomplishes nothing. We did that at the front of my career. It was during the crack epidemic. The solution to solving the crack epidemic was lock up these folks, lock them up. They're they're evil, they're bad, just look at them you go back in time and you look at some of these covers of Newsweek and Time, it was a pretty, we racially profiled pretty aggressively as a nation. And the reality of it is people who were using crack, selling generally small amounts of crack, these were drug addicts. They didn't belong in federal prison. And what that did is it absolutely obliterated the infrastructure of the black community and the black home. I don't, in my lifetime, won't recover from that. When you contrast that to what was referred to as opioid addiction, which I firmly believe is a white person's way of saying heroin, we've treated it for what it is. It's a substance abuse problem. A person needs medical care. They need therapy. They've got insurance paying for it. The government's putting grants. We're treating it like we should. So I say this to say I've been down the road of doing the arrest. It does not work. So what do you do? Well, I am very happy to say that this budget, which I appreciate Council President James, Mayor Fisher, and the team passing, does appropriate large amounts of money to try to tackle some of these issues from other avenues, whether it's triaging a 911 call. So you call in a 911 and it's apparent someone has some sort of mental crisis going on or they're homeless, all right at the 91 level a determination can be made that police aren't even going to get sent. It'll be a caseworker or maybe they go joint. and then we can redirect people away from the jails and to nonprofit health care providers, right? Because right now in every major city, what is the largest mental health provider? It's the city jail. That's every city. And the reality is as a cop, you know that's not the solution. You know that's not solving anything. So, there's a number of programs that were put in the budget this year, in the city's budget, whether it's deflecting the calls so that go to caseworkers, whether it's group violence intervention, where it's reaching out to victims of gunshot or their surviving family members and redirecting them away from gun violence. There's so many pivots of peace, inserting people in the hospitals to ensure we're talking to people who aren't victims of gunshots. I don't say a lot, but there are definitely people who do not report to the police that they have been shot. When that is the case, it's fairly certain that there's going to be some level of retaliation. So if they don't want to talk to us, that's fine, but let's get somebody down there talking to them that can help them. So the city has a number of programs that they're pushing out aggressively to try to assist us as we get our arms around this. Because police should not be the front lines of mental health care. We should not be the front lines of addressing the homelessness issue. And this is where police have gotten into a lot of trouble. And what I would say is, coming up the ranks as a cop, we didn't want to be the front lines of dealing with these issues. Police balked in. It. it was, it became mandated because we were the only ones out there that were available to do it. I think to a
2: degree we've done a really good job, but
1: there's also obviously been incidents that have gone very forward.
2: From that I would assume that you would be providing a great deal of support for not only increasing the numbers of people dealing with these non police matters that you get called for, as well as perhaps even increasing pay for those individuals, just like we're seeing a potential increase in pay for police officers.
1: Oh sure. I mean I think if you want quality I think we're seeing this across the U.S., right? People are like, no, I'm, I'm not working for that. And so if you're trying to get people who have really, really specialized skills and are good at what they do, there has, there has to be a, a, a pay commiserate to the skill set that you're see, seeking, certainly.
2: We had a problem with a video that was released about recruitment of police officers that showed Police officers and camouflage going across the bridge. Uh, officers with assault rifles and they were using uh, battering rams similar to what was used in the Breonna Taylor thing. You know, If you go along with the heading of you know, what you recruit is what you get. Recruit guardians, you get guardians. Recruit warriors, you get warriors. How do you re- go back now and retrain? Or what is it that you tell your police officers? in terms of the attitudes that they have when entering into different communities. Is it us versus them, they is us, how do you do that?
1: Right, now and I think that's a a huge problem in law enforcement and to a large degree, it's not even how the recruiting is done or the training is done, it's like the cynicism sets in. I think one of the things that we at law enforcement have have not done well is You had to be very strong. You could not have a weakness. You could not you could not struggle with something and the reality of it is policing is negative repetition People do not call you when things are going well you don't see pleasant outcomes you just don't and as a human being to process this over and over and it just keeps hitting you you've got to figure out a way to cope with it and if you don't talk about it or even admit that at some point you may be struggling with components of it or not understanding it you are going to harden up because you have to figure out a way to process this especially in our busier divisions in any city you're going from call to call to call you can't sit there and pout you just got to do it you got to do it well and you can't make a mistake and so I think that actually fosters a level of cynicism, which plays into the us versus them. So I think that people often think it's taught, but the reality of it is usually your academies are really good at not teaching that, really good at teaching like how you should handle stuff. And then the officers go out, and by year three, they've developed all of these bad habits. And so one of the things that you're seeing law enforcement really try to do is allow officers to be a little more human, encourage therapy, encourage peer support, encourage talking. It's also requiring at its core, the message has to start from the top. I'm a firm believer in, I wanna know my employees' names, I wanna know what's going on in your life. Are you going through a divorce? Are you drinking too much? Do you have credit problems? If I find that out about an officer and his or her supervisors don't know, there's gonna be an ass-chewing because you have to know your people. Because at the end of the day, that's what we're putting out there. That person is coming in, they have all of the baggage, y'all do, and they're now being put into conflict-driven environments. You have to have a way to deal with that in a healthy manner. You have to have a way to deal with it if that person is gonna project successfully. That's one part of it. The other part of it is history. Most law enforcement agencies do not do an adequate job of teaching history. In Atlanta, I had the advantage of having the Civil Rights Museum there, Center for Civil and Human Rights. I made the recruits go there. I made them be proctored by the day by someone who worked there. You have to know the history of policing. You have to look and see that in Alabama, the individuals who were black and on foot were being hit by white men on horses. You have to see that the black individuals in Alabama were being bitten by German shepherds whose handlers were white men. You have to understand the history of policing, how it's been acceptable to police in communities of color differently. Even if it's not taught, what happens is the fact that those communities often are marginalized and poorer allows for modifications in how we conduct ourselves. What do I mean by that? I should police the same way in an affluent neighborhood as I would in a neighborhood that is lower income. The reality of it is over time, I don't. I cut corners. I want to hit the end result and I don't invest in the process because I know I won't be questioned along the way. And so a lot of it is educating police to what the history of policing is. When you have officers, I can't tell you how many officers will say to me, see a report and say they're in a poor area, it's a black area, I saw Billy Bob, he was straight standing on the street corner. He took, turned, walked away from me. I knew that based on my training and experience that he was up to something illegal. I got out of, of my car, we went in a foot pursuit. I got him, I gassed him, I handcuffed him, and I found nothing. If you understand the history of policing, and if you, if you know our role in the black community, you will understand Just as I may go into a store here and someone says, can I buy you a cup of coffee because they trust me, the person in the black community probably does not trust me. And when they looked away, it's because they don't trust me. It's not because they were holding dope. And if you were going to assume that that person had dope, would you assume they had dope if they were in the Highland? And my answer is no. That's what I'm saying. You must be consistent in how you apply your reasoning. And when you start jumping to conclusions based on your environment, as opposed to case law, you get in trouble.
2: A couple of years back, I think the was the president of the uh, River City FOB <laughs> made a comment that going into the West End, one had to have a warlike mentality. Mm-hmm. Everything you just said sounds very good, but if that is what the union leader, the leader of the rank and file, is saying. How am I going to turn around and go out and buy the cops and a cup of coffee before I see a bowl? Yeah,
1: it's, even since I've been here, the union's public affairs person has put out something that I'm like, what are you doing? Remind yourself, this is unindividual. It is one person who is saying that they're speaking on behalf of all these folks. That is not the mindset of all the folks. And the problem is, when they make a comment like that, that is just ignorant, who is bearing the brunt of it? It's the cop who is out there alone trying to navigate this very difficult space, do the job. You know what, you want me to explain why they said something that's stupid? I can't, I
2: just not I, <laughs> I appreciate the fact that you recognize the frustration that many individuals will have along that same line to which you probably were just alluding to a recent comment about the makeup of the Citizen Review and Accountability Board. Well, I think most of us would kind of look for it as reprehensible. The problem comes in. Where is the rank and file standing up saying, wait a minute, this does not speak for us. Yes, we have you, but we're not hearing it from the cops that we come in contact with. So anyway, so how do you feel about the review board? Where is it, and what would you like to see happen with this review? Let me say
1: this. I I do wish that the cops
2: had spoken up on that,
1: but I also think, on a whole, most of them grumble and have expressed their views, pro or con, on social media and internal groups. Again, I really want to bear that the responsibility needs to be borne by the union and the person who put that out, because it was very damaging, and the person who's gonna have to navigate that damage they've incurred is a young cop who's out there trying to do the job properly. And that's where it's like, you are so not looking out for your membership. The review board, you know, I'm not constructed by city hall. It's it's not my review board. I'm fine with review boards. I don't think you can be a city in this day and age and not have one. I know that they've pulled together the members of it. I've met with Jennifer Green, who's the, the president of it. I believe they're still trying to hire an inspector general. So I'm really, I'm not the best equipped to speak on, like, what its operations are and when it's going to get going. But, you know, I've I've got no problem with it. I'm a firm believer that if we're doing stuff the right way, great. And if we're not, we don't.
2: What is your plan to restore trust with the community if the FOP contract enables officers to prepare evidence over a minimum of 48 hours before they can be interviewed after an incident or
1: I'm not sure of the particulars that are in the contract that has not been made public yet. So I don't know exactly what is going to be in there. You know, my big thing is, I want the body camera on. Especially in situations of extremely high stress, regardless of whether you're a cop or if you have a loved one. You find your grandkids just laying in the pool and you haul them out and, and they live you're going to have blacked out for a period of time. You're just, the stress, the adrenaline is such that you're going to have difficulty getting regained your health. Anybody that has been under that level of stress knows exactly what I'm speaking to. And this is why you have to be so careful when you make criminal arrests based off testimonial evidence only. Stress skews things, which is why the body-worn cameras have to be on so we have that third party that is not a human so we can get some bit of a delineation of what maybe really might have occurred so for me that is the main thing do we have the camera on so we can capture the totality of the events you know depending on the, the nature of the incident but if it is a serious incident an officer involved shooting or what have you I'm just going to tell you the person's memory right after the incident is in all likelihood not going to be accurate no different than anybody else there you go
0: you are listening to WFMP 106.5 FM and with us today is Erica Shields, Louisville's recently hired police chief, and she's with moderator Dr. Wayne Tuxen and this conversation took place on August 25th at the Louisville League of Women Voters.
2: Talking a little bit about the contract. When we look at this contract that's currently up for review. What impact is this going to have on the hiring standards for the LMPD in terms of your ability to recruit financially compared to the surrounding jurisdictions? And is this going to diversify the pool from which you get to choose your recruits? Because you're now making it a little
1: more palatable financially for someone to take this job. Sure. Let me say this. Coming in, I didn't know what to expect. Obviously, last year was extremely difficult on multiple fronts. I anticipated encountering a department that would not want to police because that was the case in many cities. There's a very real reluctance by officers to be proactive and self initiate, because the judgment can be so harsh. And what I'll say to you is, yes, some of it's warranted, but also sometimes this job is really difficult and there is no such thing as a pretty arrest. I'm just telling you that. So when I came in, I didn't know what to expect. And I was pleasantly surprised that I came into a department that took an enormous amount of pride in itself and wanted the community to be proud of it. I heard that over and over, that they wanted the community to believe in them. And I also came in on the heels when a lot of people have left. And I think that even though it's created a shortage of staffing for me, I think at some levels, it was probably needed. I have a very young department They want to learn they want to do it correctly they want leadership on what they should do I think there's an enormous amount of opportunity I have high hopes for the contract I think that there is an understanding of LMPD has been really underpaid in the region which presents a problem because at some level when you're asking for all these skill sets and behaviors and judgment you do at some point on anything you get what you pay for and Typically, when cities to go with lower pay, if you build out the budget over five years and 10 years, you find that they have actually ended up spending tens of millions more on the constant flow of recruitment that they have to do. And policing is one of these professions that it takes a year from the time they start the academy till they can go out and answer a an 911 call. You've invested right off the bat 100 grand in that employee. About the time they hit the three-year mark, they're of use to you. They're finally starting to understand things. So when you have employees walking out the door, the three- and nine-year mark, which has been going on a lot here, you have so much money and institutional knowledge is going out the door. You've got to close that gap. I feel very positive. I think there's been a lot of back and forth with an understanding on we want this to be a quality department, which is why there's going to be a number of reforms built into the contract, that the police can't just do business as usual. The diversification of the department, to me, that is more, where are you recruiting? Diversification has to be deliberate. And for those of you who are in an organization and you have no black people or the token black person, shame on you. Don't tell me there aren't the people there. You have not made a deliberate effort to go hire them. And so the same applies to the police department. We have to go to these cities that have larger African American populations. We have to put forward a concerted effort to resonate with African Americans to ask them and become a part of Louisville Metro. You have to be deliberate in hiring minorities. And too often the explanation is they don't want to come, they're not interested, they didn't pass civil service. Bull- you didn't recruit them and you didn't drill down and see if that civil service exam was discriminatory. Because when you look at civil service exams, who's drawing them up? How old are they? And tell me they're all white men. I'm telling you, as someone who almost didn't get in the door at a time because policing women weren't wanted, someone has to stand up and call Poland. Yeah. And so to me that is a very real issue here.
2: As you look at the flip side of that, the training of the individual. What protocols, or are there protocols, to try to identify implicit bias in the yeah. recruit? What are the things you try to do to train the individuals to function in non-white communities, or in communities to which they're not familiar? What about in-service, even while people are still out there, to reinforce them as far as racial, ethnic, sexual orientation? How do you keep it all that going? The
1: most effective way to, to keep that along the trajectory that you want as a leader is to have diversity within the organization. The reality of it is no amount of testing, psychological exams, or I don't know, gross spaghetti at a wall assessment is gonna weed out that. And generally what you find is when you have an employee who is engaged in some egregious conduct, if you go back to their hiring file, there is not an indicator in there. And I say that as having looked over and uh, hiring files for 10 years plus, and all of them had lie detector tests and tests. I would say it's the same as the neighbor you thought you knew. And then all of a sudden you catch a remark and you're like, what the? It's the same thing. The behaviors start to seep out. And you have to have the diversification and the understanding and the mental aptitude within the department so the peers Corrected, The peers challenging, And for me, that was the, one of the nicest things about the Atlanta Police Department. 58% African American, even if a white person or a Hispanic person might have had behaviors or thoughts that were not appropriate, because I'm dealing with humans. Let's well, keep it real. I'm going to change you all. I get it. I'm realistic. But at the end of the day, don't bring that to the job. And if you're surrounded and you know all of a sudden you're in the minority, you're gonna behave a little differently at work. Mm-hmm. And that's where you know, if you if you're working with people who are openly gay, transgender, what have you, you, you start to think a little different, talk a little different. And it's also imperative that supervisors hold the officers accountable when they see this. And if a supervisor doesn't, it's incumbent upon me to make sure they're
2: held accountable. What resources are available for you to go back and try to vet out a recruit or an officer who's coming in. And on the flip side, when an officer is terminated here for disciplinary or some other unusual behavior, does that information, are you all transmitting that to other agencies who may think about hiring?
1: I would say the the one thing that's really helped out law enforcement in vetting people in this day and age is social media. People put everything on there. I mean, they tell you they're going to the bathroom. I'm like, what? But um, social media and the vetting of social media is critical to the hiring and the monitoring of employees. I hate to say it, but if you're stupid enough to post that, it's on you. That's been a, a gift that keeps giving. So we it to the state as law enforcement. Louisville Metro is the employer. The state certifies and gives us all police powers. That's generally how it is in every state. So only the state can decertify a person. But what is important and critical that we do is we notify the state, hey, John Doe resigned, but he resigned in lieu of being terminated. So they have the knowledge so they can decertify John Doe within the state. So we do report that to the state and I think for the most part, I mean, I can't say for certain, but I would imagine that most of the individuals get decertified. But for data on that, I would have to say that that is through the state.
2: Assuage the community's concerns and dispel perceptions by explaining how that process works when an officer is brought forth for a disciplinary. You know, you got the Fox Guard in the hen house. So I know you want everyone here to believe that, yes. We're doing this process exactly, but it seems like there may be something to the outsider, that there are many things that are put in favor of the officer against the community. Would you explain to us what are the things that you are mandated to do that don't make any sense to us at all, and what are the things that you think you could do a little bit better?
1: You know what? It's not a perfect system. You are relying on the culture of the department and, most importantly, the culture of the leadership team to be doing the correct thing. If that is absent, you are going to have incidents that go unchecked. And so there is something of a trade-off, which is why I think you see citizen review <coughs> boards crop up. When the investigative file is closed, it goes through the employee's chain of command for them to make recommendations on discipline. The internal affairs, let's say they say Jane Doe used violation of courtesy complaint. She swore at somebody. It goes up to the supervisors, they agree, disagree, what's the discipline recommendation? I think that where it gets dicey is when you start dealing with use of force and a couple of things there. First off, it is different when you have done the job. When you have found yourself getting your ass kicked, I'm telling you, one minute feels like an hour. When you really don't know the outcome, of what something is going to be, it's eternity. And so when we're hearing these, reading these files, and we're looking at the video, we're not taking it in the context of the person who is sitting in the comfort of their home or looking on their phone while they're walking. We're looking at it through, that's my ass getting kicked. Or that was that person I needed to arrest because I have probable cause to arrest them, they resisted, and off we went. That in of itself, Right there is a very hard bridge to cross. Mm -hmm. The other thing, and this is where law enforcement though can improve here. Policing across the United States has always been trained, use of force has been based on criminal case law. Criminal case law rulings by the higher court dictates what we get as trained, what we can do. So, Graham V. Connor says you can do X, Y, Z. That may govern our training for 30 years. Sometimes the training gets, you know, you'll have it, it may get to a federal appeals court or a Supreme Court, and a ruling gets modified. You've seen some come out recently with use of force in particular being looked at by the Supreme Court. But all of our training that we do on use of force is governed by case law from higher courts. And this is so that there is consistency in the training. There's roughly 18,000 police departments in the United States there's about approximately 900,000 law enforcement officers if you want some similarities in the approach and the way you have some consistency if you're running academy is you rely on case law the problem is criminal case law is providing the lowest bar that if you don't go beneath that bar you are not guilty you should either not be indicted not charged or found not guilty right so you're like okay i I didn't go, I stayed above that bar, therefore, I'm not going to get indicted. There it is the problem. I'm not a judge. I'm an employer. And we've set out the lowest bar possible for you. And we've said, as long as you don't go beneath this in your use of force usage, you're successful. But really, you're not. You're not successful in the eyes of the community. You're successful in the eyes of the Commonwealth attorney. What's the bar of the community? And this is where use of force training across the United States has to close this gap fast. And it's one of the biggest struggles I've had in the last few years. Because what happens is your academy instructors, your force instructors, are really, really smart people. They know case law better than any attorney you're going to find. And now you're going to them and you say, yeah, but here's the thing. Case law says that that is allowable. I'm coming to you as the employer, and I said, I want our bar now to be, yeah, but is it necessary? Is it necessary is entirely different from what is legally reasonable. That is the gap that until the is it necessary better aligns with this is legally reasonable. Until that gap is closed, you are going to continue to see there be a divide between communities and law enforcement.
2: Do you... Work with the Kentucky gun laws, and how do you work with Kentucky gun laws <laughs> <laughs> to get the guns off the street? So, what's your solution to that?
1: So, Georgia prepared me well for Kentucky. So, the absence of laws here is as pronounced as it was in Georgia, and this is why you see so much gun violence in southern states. And when I go with major city chiefs' conferences from chiefs from across the country from major cities. There's always far more in the way of gun violence in those of us who are in states where gun laws are just absent. I am not a legislator. The laws that the state has, I have to navigate. And so my posture is this. We know that the gun crime, the illegal guns on the street are driving the violence. At the end of the day, yes, I do have gang members. I do have retaliatory shooting. I do have domestics, but at the end of the day, the gun is what is killing the people. And 99% of our homicides are guns. Okay? So that's the data. My mission is, this is the directive that I give the department. We are going after illegal guns. We are going after repeat violent offenders. This is what intelligence-led policing is. It is not, well, we're going to go to the League of Women Voters and see if we can round up people. No. We're going to go after you. Because what I know about you is you're a repeat violent offender. You're in a gang. These two ladies are your associates. We're going to follow your jailhouse calls. We're going to see if you're on probation. It is very focused. Because when you start focusing on the people driving it, you get their network and you get the correct people. And it has made a difference. We have been running violent crime detail for two months. I've overhauled the CID unit. And even though it doesn't feel it, I can tell you the margins are coming down. The crime is going down, not nearly as fast as we need it or want it, but I do know that we're on the right path. The difficulty is, yes, we have more work to do and we have to do better. And I have to have more of our police officers feeling comfortable to get back in self-initiating calls. I will own that all day long. But I will also tell you this, you need to know who your judges are. You need to know who you're voting for. And I'm just telling you, folks, you do. when we're arresting people for violent crime, they are never first-time offenders. They are repeat violent offenders. They are felons in possession of guns for the sixth time. They're out on bond for shooting people. They're out on bond for murder. I don't have anywhere for juveniles for shooting people to go. I'm getting them let back into the city until the community educates itself on the process and starts demanding transparency through the other components of the criminal justice system, you are not going to see the change that you want. You cannot say, we do not want police dealing with all of these issues. We do not want police using these tactics, but then not pay attention to and demand change in the other parts of the system that are flat out. How many of you have ever asked, how many days a week does the judge work? How many trials did they hear this year? How many of the trials did they demand be plea bargained out? Do you know judges do that? They demand you don't go to trial. You plea bargain it out. Not all of them. Not all. There's good everywhere. But the reality is no one can hire and fire judges. They get elected, they just tell you, I, I'm in. I'm in. Right? The juvenile, there's the biggest city in the state. And what are we doing with our juveniles? I have 16, 14, 12-year-olds shooting people. I get, I get them back. Why do you think the outcome is going to change? I am going to shave the margins, and we're going to keep hitting it, and we're going to get it better. But if you really want to see change, you have to address all of the components of the criminal justice system. That is
2: absent right now. How are you looking at reforming or developing what other task force to address specific issues that you see as problems?
1: So, you know, I don't know exactly what he did. So all I know is I come in and I assess it. What is here? What's the talent look like? What are we doing? The big thing for me is we're not gonna be place-based. We're not gonna go after narcotics. My focus, as I've expressed to you, is we're going after illegal guns. Here's why. If you go after narcotics, you may or may not get violent felons. If you go after violent felons and guns, the drugs will come. But you have to go after the highest charge and the person who is inflicting the most damage in a community. The XTAC came in with a couple of different things going on. The first was the officers were reluctant to self-initiate and be proactive. They had a series of high-profile traffic incidents in 2019 that brought bad PR to the department, allegations of racial profiling. Rather than retraining people and rather than changing the policy, it essentially was understood, don't do traffic. Here's the problem. Traffic is critical to keeping a city safe, whether it's speeding, DUI, or people who are trafficking narcotics, stolen cars, carjacks. You think the criminals don't know if the police aren't stopping them? They know before you do. The criminals know when the police have checked out. So you're going from July, August, 2019, officers self initiating them. It's dramatic if the data shows it. Self-initiation went like this, crime went like this. Stayed that way until about February of 2020. The department started reengaging. So, reengaging went like this crime leveled off, Breonna Taylor happened. Down we went. No self initiation, crime here. That's what I came into. Officers who did not want to self initiate because they didn't want to get in trouble. They were getting, the few that were doing traffic stops were getting surrounded on the stops. Left an event last night, Housewoman Armstrong had it. One of my majors did a traffic stop on the way out. This is after we've left the event where we've gotten repeatedly told that we needed to do more traffic. And they're right. This is a major stopping the car to do a traffic stop, to lead by example. And there's multiple people shouting him, don't shoot him, don't shoot him. How does a 20-plus-year-old officer feel if they get that? They're going to get right back in the car. They're going to go, I don't like of this. So the self-initiation stuff, it's been lost. It's not going on. Well, if you're not initiating, if you're not proactive in law enforcement, and you're only not reactive, we get And that's your cleaning up. So for me, a part of it has just been rebuilding the confidence of the officers that the community does want you. It's how you do it. And this is the reason I started these violent crime details, because I had my executive team, I have a core executive team, we are out there with them. I'm not going to ask you to just put your butt on the line. I'm going to go out there with you and police with you. So part of it has been a huge part of just rebuilding confidence. And we've been working on that and it's showing. The other thing was the folks who are specialized in investigations, they've been doing all the narcotics investigations. After Brianna Taylor, they were told to stand down. So they were working 10 to 6 and not working. So these are some of your most skilled, seasoned, trained individuals who were not working. And I get it. You know, even when I started, this city was one match away from going up again. So you had to buy time. I still think they should have been doing something. But I say that to say much of what I did the first couple few months is assess because I couldn't just say to people, go do this. I had to be sure they're doing it correctly. And so I finally feel like we've rounded that curve. There's a better understanding of the mission of where we're going. I think the data is showing it. We have a lot to catch up on. That all last summer, I mean, six months, you didn't have any investigations done. Homicide wasn't doing investigations When the the protests were going on, everyone was working the protests. So when they're beaten up on the clearance rate, well, okay, well, you had the last several years, the highest homicide rates the city's ever had. You've lost people (laughs) hand over foot. We're down 250 officers. And you had people not investigating for probably five or six months because they were working protests. You are not going to have the clearance rate. None of these issues happened overnight. Breonna Taylor was the tipping point she was not the first incident for Hampshire. She was the tipping point, God bless her. And you're not going to clean up in three, six months, something that had was put in place over a period of time. Do we have things in place? Yes. Is it a strong department? Yes. Is the city committed to getting it right? Yes. I feel very hopeful. I really do.
2: This question is fairly straightforward. Do you believe law enforcement should have qualified immunity? Yes, I do.
1: And I say that because I believe judges have it, prosecutors. I think there's other people that have it, legislatures. So I think, first off, you're truly going to have that discussion. Let's first tee up everyone that has it. The second thing is, if you think this profession is depleted right now, I can tell you, had that gone through, and I have a lot of respect for Senator Cory Booker. I had a conversation with him and a couple of my peers, and... I understand what they're trying to do, but I also will say I don't think that that was the way to do it. I think my biggest concern on it was you are going to have people who are going to go after officers so that their office has stats as opposed to the correct reason. You can't control that once it's Mm -hmm. become law. And I think this profession would have taken such a hit. It could have just been crippling to the profession.
2: But there's so many other businesses, workers, we have nothing like, and it almost gives a free get-out-of-jail card. I can do what I need to do or what I think needs to be done, and there's nothing that you can do. That is the perception when you talk about a qualified me. I do something for someone as a physician. I'm going to be visited by someone will, who wants to come and sue me. Yet the same thing doesn't seem to apply for you. Well, I
1: would say the fundamental difference is as a physician, your patient's not trying to kill you. Let's cut to the chase. We're called in when things are not going well. We have discussed that we are in a country, in a state, where there is unlimited surplus of guns, not revolvers, semi-automatic weapons, all right? These scenes that we're going to, we have 56 shell casings from semi-automatic weapons. My folks have this, they have to make a decision like that. I'm not gonna defend corruption. I'm not going to defend racism. I'm not going to defend bad policing. But I also will say, don't tell me other jobs don't have it until your job is going out there and going up against some of the most violent individuals in this country. When that's your job, then we'll have a discussion.
2: But isn't that one of the things that brings honor to your profession, which I know is not a whole lot, but also brings a certain level of the community wanting to give you the benefit of the doubt whenever that opportunity presents itself. You are asking us to trust the police officers, you're asking us to work with them, yet you've got this big carrot that you're holding back for yourself that says, no matter what, and I'm sure most of us in this room will agree with you, that you're facing a second by second decision. But there are those instances where individuals are making bad judgments because of qualified immunity it appears as though they're getting a pass
1: you know what i've seen too many federal prosecutions to know that officers can be prosecuted i mean oath of office alone can be put on you for everything you've just described so i think the bigger issue is probably there's not been the appetite to prosecute police as opposed to they can't prosecute police i'm not saying that qualified immunity doesn't have a downside i'm not saying What I am saying is, I think that given what we are tasking our officers with, you're not going to get anyone to do this job if you're going to start exposing them at that level. I I just don't think you are.
2: There was a report this week, and the person describes it as an internal, quote, rape board pool. Can you begin to address this badly toxic culture that has been shown to exist within the LNPD? Here was my day.
1: <laughs> I spent the first three and a half hours today giving a deposition on something that happened here in 2016. Now, I came here in 2021, and it was along those lines, sexual. And I saw the article in the paper about the board. I don't know if it's valid or if it's just a disgruntled employee. There's no context. It's just a whiteboard with stuff on it, but I don't know. What I will say is there clearly were multiple incidents in this department that were tied to sexual misconduct over the last decade or so that I feel as though the individuals who were running this police department did an extremely poor job of addressing. I don't think it is a broad culture issue but I think that as a leader, you have an obligation to set the tone and it should be extremely professional. It was unacceptable the manner in which some of the stuff has been lost over. And I think that it has done an enormous amount of harm in the communities and it's inexcusable. Where do you stand on having officers
2: out of the car and walking beats uh, more. Is that something you think that we need to do more of? We're doing enough of it?
1: I'm a huge proponent of bicycle patrols, foot segways. I wish we had the staffing that we could have people dedicated to this. I think patrol cars and technology Technology's been wonderful for law enforcement, but it's also made it possible to do the job without getting out of the car Staffing levels are such that many of the individuals who are in the cars are going from call to call in certain parts of the town I'm a huge proponent of people being even more so just than getting out of the car But on the bikes and on the foot beat because you, you need to talk to people You need to know who's in the neighborhood and the reality of it is you don't get that from the vehicle and I really hope that we can get our staffing to a point that we can have more of that consistent community outreach, because it's so important. It's fascinating how if you get a few people that can really connect with the community, how you can drive change.
2: Are officers afraid to get out of the car?
1: No, I wouldn't say that, because I saw this even before going back several years ago. I think many of our employees are younger. They're into technology. they got their gadgets, so you have cell phone, the computer MDT, this, that. So they're doing 10 things at once, they're going from call to call. So it's also like we're trying to train them a bit on the interpersonal communication and the benefit of it. That being said, these are some of the smartest, most thoughtful young folks that I've ever dealt with. And they're such quick studies on stuff. How can
2: community help officers see positive outcomes in their work? What can we here do to help improve the situation?
1: You know, I think the fact that you're here is huge. And I, and I mean that because whether you're here yelling at me, which there's still time, or you're just here to learn, at some level you've invested time, which is precious, in hearing about this subject. And you may leave here and say, well, I don't agree with you. That's okay. But at least at some level we communicate. And I think that's huge that you took the time to just care at some level. Police know when there's wrong, and more often than not, nobody more than the police wants the people who are wrong to be held accountable. Yes, sometimes we do get blinded by our profession and don't see it from the outside, especially the newer officers. What I would say the biggest thing is to just talk. Talk to the officers. Explain what you're thinking, explain what you need. I think communication is so valuable. Chief, thank you very much.
0: That was LMPD's new police chief, Erica Shields, in conversation with moderator Dr. Wayne Tucson on August the 25th at the Louisville League of Women Voters. Now, if there is a burning issue that you'd like to present or would like us to know about, go to www.forwardradio.org. Thanks for listening.